Thanks, Amanda. Team? Well, good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see everybody today. Glad that you are here. Hey, before I jump in for today, I got one more thing I want to let you know about. Uh, in your seat when you came in, you got a uh, booklet there uh, telling you about Double Oak University. Uh, and if you've been at Double Oak for a while, you know what this is. Many of you are brand new, and so I want to let you know about what this is, because we would love for all of you guys to be involved. Uh, starting not this coming Wednesday night, but the following Wednesday night, we're going to have six Wednesdays where we're going to gather here on Wednesday nights, uh, really to grow in our discipleship. Uh, it starts with dinner uh, at 5.45. We've got a catered meal that will be right here uh, in the lobby. You can come on in so you can scream off 280 from work, wherever you're at. Come on in. We've got food for everybody. Uh, but you can come in. We'll have round tables all in this room. You'll be able to sit, have a quick meal. It's a great time for fellowship because you invariably will end up meeting some people you haven't met before. You might end up at a table with somebody you haven't seen before. And you can just have a few minutes, get to know one another, get to see some people throughout the week that maybe you don't normally get to see. But we'll do that for a few minutes. And then at 6.30, we've got stuff for the whole family. We've got things for preschoolers. We've got things for kids on second uh, second floor. We've got stuff for youth going on across the street. And then for all of us as adults, you're going to get the opportunity to choose a class to go to. And that's what this booklet has uh, in there for you. So you can check that out. And we've got six classes for you to choose from. Uh, now look, this is a little bit different than what we do on Sunday mornings. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we encourage everybody to be a part of a community group. Uh, and look, they study lots of different things. Over the course of a year or years, you'll study a lot, but you really want to focus on the relationships that you're building in community groups. Double Oak University is the opposite. You really want to pick your classes based on topic. Let's fill in some holes in your discipleship. Let's grow in some places that we need to grow. And so you can pick whichever one you want to do. So we've got a bunch this, uh, this semester. First off, Art of Gospel Conversations. This is a class I'm actually going to be teaching with Jeff Wilson. Uh, another member here at the church and just asking the question, man, how do you have gospel conversations? How do you get into these conversations to share Christ with coworkers and neighbors and friends? And it's a weird culture out there, man. How do I even start that super practical class? It's going to just give us some tools and some tips on how to handle that. Would love for you to be a part of that. New Testament survey, Dr. David Watson will be here kind of walking us through in six weeks to say, man, leave you an overview of the New Testament, just to understand the New Testament as a whole. If you've never taken a class like this before, I would really encourage you to do so. Love thy neighbor. Brian Cornelius will be teaching this one, our church administrator, just talking about hospitality. How do I love the people in my neighborhood? Just in the neighborhood that you're already living in, how do I share Christ? Just live out the love of Christ with people who may not go to my church, but I live around. How, what do I do with that? A lot of practical advice there. Check that out. Tom Cash will be teaching Jesus in the Old Testament, looking at Old Testament prophecy. How do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? If you've never been a part of a Tom Cash class before, man, check this out. There's so much information, so much great stuff there. A biblical look at parenting teens. Uh, teens. Uh, the Boyds will be teaching this class. Um, Poker Boyd's been in youth ministry for a long, long time, but Poker and Julie Boyd will be leading this one uh, and say, look, I want to say, how do I actually parent my teen in a biblical way? We can give you a lot of great information here. Uh, and then finally, Hearts Inquire, which has already started with Kelly right here 
here in this room. Got a bunch of you guys who are already involved in that. So look, lots of different options, lots of different things to choose from. We would love for you to be a part. Like I said, six weeks, make it a point. Just kind of be here for all six weeks. Also, we're making it affordable. Uh, our dinner, if you can make it for dinner, we do need you to register. You see a QR code right in there, but uh, $8 for adults, $5 for, t- for kids, a max of $25 per family. We want to make this affordable to everybody. If you can, it's going to be catered in. It's great food, but look, great time for food, fellowship, to grow in your discipleship. It's starting up in two Wednesdays. And so please go ahead and sign up if you're going to be here. If you sign up, make sure you're here. But listen, it's going to be a great time and I would love for you to be a part. Very excited to kick off Double Oak University this season. But now grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Same place we've been in the past two weeks as we're rounding out a short series entitled Core. We're looking at our core values as a church. What makes us who we are? If you are new here, this is a great time just kind of find out, hey, what, what is this church about? What really defines this church? What do we rally around as our core values? And for those of us who've been here a long time, it's always good to remind ourselves, hey, what are we doing here? Let's not get into a rut or a rhythm, man. Let's be intentional about being a Christ-centered community. What does that even look like? We've been going through our three core values of maturity, community, and charity. We want to be Christ-centered in our spiritual maturity. We want everybody growing up that in their faith. That happens in the context of Christ-connected community. And then that leads us to our, our final value that we'll look at in just a few moments uh, of charity. We are Christ-commissioned to share the love of God, that charity with those inside of the church and those outside of the church as well. Uh, but look, all of these core values kind of roll together. I know we've been looking at them piecemeal, but but they all kind of roll together. We've just taken these three weeks to kind of look at them uh, in uh, in specific spots, but you really do need all three. Honestly, what we've been doing for the past three weeks has been uh, kind of like a, like a slow-mo replay uh, on Saturdays, right? Anybody excited about football being back? Anybody? Yes, yes. Football PS has already started. It is not next weekend. It started last night. Vanderbilt hung 63 points on Hawaii last night. I want you to think about that for just a second. Vandy scored 63 points in one game. This could be a fun season, guys. It really could be fun. But look, on Saturdays, we will invariably be shown slow-mo replays, right? Because you got to know, did he catch the ball, right? So we're looking, like, when did he have possession of the ball, okay? Did the ball move at all, okay? Where were his hands? Did he make a football move? And where was his foot? Was it inbounds or what is it not out of bounds? And so we're going to have the slow-mo replay to see, right? You're watching all of this happen, and we're going to look at it 10 times and from four directions to kind of see what happened. But in reality, all of that took a quarter second. It just happened. Boom. It just, all of that motion, all of that athleticism, boom. It was just a second. And we even slowed it down to see it, but it's all one fluid motion. Those are our core values. When it comes to maturity and community and charity, you don't isolate them out and say, well, I just like this one, or I really want to major on that one. No, you got to have all three because they weave in and out of one another. They reinforce one another. They are all of a piece and we need all three. You actually see that in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. So as we read it again, I want you to notice how these three values of maturity, community, and charity all kind of weave in and out of one another. So let's start reading in verse 11 and notice what it says. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, did you see him? That word love there, that's where we get charity. That's what that word means. And But you see all three of these things kind of weaving in and out of one another. What that tells us is, is that the mystics among us, we can't just focus on our maturity to the exclusion of everything else. You can't just say, hey man, I just love God in my own personal closet all by myself. No, you need community. You can't do that by yourself. The most socially conscious among us can't say, hey, I just want to help other people. Or I just want to help other people and just love other people. But you can't do that to the exclusion of your maturity. You actually need to grow in your faith. And the most extroverted among us who say, hey, man, I got my community. I got my people. It's awesome. I just want these folks and I don't need anybody else. Well, you can't do that to the exclusion of service, of actually helping people who aren't in your tight-knit community. So we need all three of these things. But as we begin to move towards this final core value, let me just ask you this, just kind of as a general question. What do you think is the defining mark of a Christian church? Think about that. Because some of you, you're looking for a church right now. That's why you're here this morning. You may have been a part of multiple churches in your life. When you're evaluating a church to say, is this a good church or not? What is the defining mark that says this is a Christian church? What is it? What comes to the fore? What's the most important thing for you? I wonder if it'd be interesting for you to know that Jesus actually has an answer to that question. There's a specific thing that Jesus says. He goes, this is what I'm looking for when it comes to my church. Look at this in John. Uh, Actually, you just go to the next one. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Check this out. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When Jesus is going to the cross, this is the last night before he goes to his crucifixion, he says, this is my command. If I could just sum it all up, I want you to love one another in the exact same way that I have loved you. I want you to now love one another. This is the defining mark of my church. This is how people will know that you're Christians. This is how people will know that you are of me is when they see you loving one another in the same way that I have loved you. Paul will actually go on to echo this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he talks about love and what love looks like. At the very beginning, he says, listen, it does not matter if you guys have all the theological knowledge in the world. It does not matter if you've given all your money to the poor and done so much social service. It does not matter if you have done so many things and have these amazing worship services. If you don't have love, you got nothing. Nothing. He's echoing Jesus who says, listen, this is the thing that's going to show everybody that you are of me is that you are loving in the same way that you that I have loved you. You are to love one another. Now, why is that? Why would that be the defining factor? Why would charity, why would love be the defining factor of his church? Well, because this is what really defines him. 
There's a book on my shelf uh, upstairs. Uh, it's a systematic theology by one of my professors from seminary. His name is Dr. Gerald Bray. Uh, he's the smartest guy that I have ever personally met. And if you've never read a systematic theology before, they're typically very big books, uh, and it, is, it describes what it is. It's a systematic theology. It's just a lot of pages where he lays out all of our beliefs and kind of puts them in order. It's over 700 pages long, this systematic theology. But he gave it a very simple title. It's this, God is love. That's the name of his systematic theology. 700 pages of, of, of just dense stuff. But he says, listen, none of this matters unless you get the title. It's this, God is love. It's who he is. This is the defining mark of who he is. Last week, we talked about the fact that within the Trinity, within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit, there is a community in himself. Now let's look at the nature of that community. The nature of that community is love. There is love between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Spirit, the Spirit and the Father. Between all the members of the Trinity, there is a love relationship. And so he now shares that. It exudes from him. It is is proceeding from him. This is the core of who he is. Even deeper than his holiness. Look, Look, God is holy. Please don't misunderstand me. This is paramount to who God is. But his love is even greater than his goodness. How do we know? Because if his goodness was paramount, if his holiness was paramount, then God would have just wiped us all out. Because we are not holy. We are not perfect. And if that was the most important thing, God could and should just wipe us out. But though he is holy, he is also loving. And so instead of wiping us out, instead we find that he chases us. He helps us. He forgives us time and again. He sends his very own son to die for us, though we do not deserve it. And we cannot repay him in love by his grace. He just gives us himself. You see, his grace is even greater than our sin. When you look at a religion like Islam, you'll find that the center of that religion is power. But when you look at Christianity, what you find that the center is love. This is the defining mark of who God is. And if that defines the Lord, then it should also define his people. So if this is who God is, he says, then if you are of me, if I am in you and you are in me, then we should be a people of love. We should be a people who share the same grace that we have been given, the same love that we have been given, just as I have loved you. We therefore should love one another in like fashion. The same kind of overwhelming, sacrificial, not self-seeking, agape love, this charity that God gives to us, we then should give that to one another. And that is an alien and foreign thing in this world. This truly is a defining mark of Christianity because that kind of community is not normal. Those types of love relationships are not normal. Now, let's be clear. Everybody loves in some way, shape, or form on the planet. Everybody loves. Non-Christians love just as much as Christians love. We love our kids. We love our families. We love the people who are closest to us. We love our best friends, right? Everybody loves, whether you're a Christian or not, everybody loves. But here's the thing. We typically love people who are like us. We love people who are connected to us. We love people who we find easy to love. But once you get beyond that, and when you step out of Christianity, 
we don't love very well. In fact, let me show you this quote. It's by a guy named Alan Jacobs. He's a professor at Baylor, and he's written multiple books. Uh, one of those books is a book called How to Think. Not What to Think, but How to Think. I would recommend it to you. Uh, but, but he says this. He, he was doing some studies on people, and here's what he found out. He says, many Americans are happy to treat other people unfairly if those people belong to the alien tribe. And, this is perhaps the most telling and troubling finding of all, their desire to punish the outgroup is significantly stronger than their desire to support the in-group. Through a series of games, Iyengar and Westwood, those are researchers, discovered that out-group animosity is more consequential than, than favoritism for the in-group. Now, if I lost you there, let me just kind of break that down. Here's what it means. We actually love hating people who are different than us more than we enjoy loving people who are like us. Let that sink in. We enjoy, as natural human beings, hating people who are different from us more than we actually enjoy loving people who are like us. That's the normal state of humanity. And we see it all throughout our culture. We love people who are like us. We do not like. In fact, we hate. We have animosity towards people who are not like us. Jesus says this. I don't simply want you to love people who are like you. I want you to love people who are not like you. Think about the kind of things that Jesus says to us. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Notice what it says here. Uh, Go to the next slide. Notice what it says. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you. Okay, that's not normal. That's what not, not what people normally do. We love people who like us. We love our friends and we hate our enemies. He says, no, I actually want you to love your enemies and pray for people who are out to get you. How in the world can you do that when you've been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ? Go to the next one. Here's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility can count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Don't do things just for yourself. You should actually consider others as more significant than yourself. That's charity. That is love. This is the agape, self-giving, sacrificial love that God gives to us. We then should pour that love out on everybody else. We should pour that out on everybody that's around us. And when we do so, that's what begins to change the world. When we live as that kind of a community, we are growing in Christ, we are growing in our community in Christ, and then we show the love of Christ to one another and to people outside. Okay, that's what changes the world. That's what makes us that impossible people that we talked about last week. And look, it doesn't matter where you are. When you live that out, that changes everything. There's an interesting story that happened uh, early in Christian history uh, about a guy named, uh, named Julian, whom history would now know as Julian the Apostate. Uh, Julian was a Roman emperor. Uh, you may not have heard of him, but you've probably heard of his uncle. His uncle was Constantine, the first Christian Roman emperor. He came to Christ while he was emperor and made Christianity legal in Rome. And it instantly becomes like the dominant religion in Rome once Constantine converts to Christianity. 
All right, well, Julian is his nephew. Julian grew up in a Christian home. He had Christian parents. He was raised to be a Christian. But when he got to be a young man, he abandoned his faith. He says, I don't believe this. I don't want this. I want to go back to the old ways. I want to go back to the pagan gods. I want to go back to everything else. And he actually will become emperor in 361 AD. But he's appalled because all of his countrymen, they they don't really love one another. They don't really take care of one another. He goes to this one town uh, that houses a shrine to Sibylle, which is like his patron deity. And he's appalled because nobody's taking care of the poor. Uh, the, the priests there aren't doing anything. In fact, they're doing anything but. And, and listen to what he says. Uh, this is Julian the Apostate in the fourth century. Is this how apparent to everyone it is and how shameful that our own people lack support from us when no Jew ever has to beg. And the impious Galileans, that's the Christians, the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Here's what the Christians are doing. They don't just take care of their own. They're taking care of the people who are different from them. They're they're taking care of the people who used to persecute them. How terrible it is that I'm trying to revive this Roman religion, but, but nobody really cares. And the Christians, they don't just care about themselves. They care about everybody. So here's what Julian does. He gets all over the priests uh, of the, the temple of Sibylle and says, here's some money. You guys have got to get this, get your act together. You guys start helping the poor. Here's the problem. The priests at Sibylle were way more interested in drinking, dancing, and cross-dressing than they were in helping the poor. I'm not making this up. Check out the history. They are way more interested in drinking, dancing, and cross-dressing than helping the poor. Do you know why? They've never helped the poor. Romans don't help the poor. That's your own fault. You should take care of yourself or get deported. Stop bringing the team down. But we don't care about the poor. Julian is appalled. He hasn't figured out that the only reason he has an impulse to help the poor is because he grew up as a Christian. Is because he learned those values from Jesus Christ. But the natural, normal order of things is not. So when you and I live in such a way that we don't just love our own, we don't just love people who are like us, we don't love people who can give things to us, we actually love people who hurt us. We love people who can't give anything to us. We take care of our own and we take care of others. This is an instant sign to the world of who God is and what he is doing and what he is like. And so we ought to be people marked by not simply maturity and community, but also Christian charity, Christian love. So what does this look like? Let's get down to the practicals then. What does that, what do we what do you mean by that? That's why we're going to be again in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. You ought to still be there. Uh, let's look at a couple examples of this in the text. Look at verse 12. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. All right. So the saints have ministry to do. That's all of us. Let's skip down to verse 15 and notice what it says there. In 15, it says rather speaking the truth in love. All right, we have a role to speak that truth, but we do so in love, in this charity. And then look at verse 16, the last verse. It says, listen, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, so we have work to do, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The goal for us as believers is not simply to build numbers It's not to build buildings. It's not to build programs. We are to build a Christian community in love. Actual, real, heartfelt, expressed in real time, love for one another. This ought to be the defining marks of all that we are. But let's go back to verse 12 because this is an important point here. Look what it says in verse 12. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
You say, okay, Adam, this is great. No, I just don't know if that's my main thing. I'm still going to be on the maturity track, and I just need to do that. Maybe I'll get to this later. It says, no, 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 this is for all of us. We are all to be involved in this charity, this love for one another and love to those outside of the church. How do you know? Because it says here, we are to be equipped for the work of ministry. Now, some of us really haven't grasped onto that. I say, no, 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 Adam, that's your job. You're the pastor. P.S. That's also why we have a staff, right? You guys do the work of ministry. This is why you got a pastor, worship pastor, some youth ministers, children's ministers, preschool ministers, maybe a few more. But, but you guys do the work of ministry. Didn't you see the list? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You guys do the ministry, right? Wrong. That's not our job. That is our job. You see, all of us are ministers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then we are all ministers in God's church. This is what we would call the priesthood of the believer. Every single one of us is called to serve. What I do and the staff do, we equip the entire church so that all of us can do the ministry. This is not for a select few of us. It's not for those of us who just do this as a full-time job. No, we are all called to minister. And then God calls out other people to equip all of us so that we can all do this ministry. So nobody is excluded. This is not just for one of us or two of us or a few of us. We all have something to do. Now we have different gifts, just like different body parts do different things. We have different ways that we're going to serve. We have different things that we're going to do, but nobody is excluded. Every single one of us has a role to play. As the Lord says, I want you to be living out this charity. Now there's two ways that we mainly do this. We do this in the church and we do this out of the church. We love those who are in the church, and we also love those who are outside of the church. Let's look at both of those. First off, we are to love those who are in the congregation. Remember, we just learned we are to build one another up in love. We speak to one another in love. Look at this uh, next verse. This is Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says this to a different congregation. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're to love everybody, but it ought to start here. If we can't love these very real people, if we can't love the people that we're around every single week, how in the world are we going to help love the people who we aren't around all the time? And so we should start with the household of faith. We should start right here in our congregation. And so the question is, how are we showing love to one another? How do we, and I'm being very specific here, I want you to think about right here in this context, how do we, the people in this room, the folks who are going to be here in the next service, how do we show love for one another? And there's tons of practical ways that you can do this. Let me give you a bunch right here. First off, we can use our gift. If you are a believer, then you have a spiritual gift. Some of you know what your spiritual gift is. Some of you may not. We want to help you discover what that is. But God has gifted us differently. Some people are up front people. Some people are behind the stage people. Some people are loud like me. And some people are very quiet. Some people have different kinds of gifts. But everybody has a gift. And your gift is not for you. When God gave you a gift, he said, I'm not giving this for you, giving you this for your edification. I'm giving you a gift so you can pour it out on everybody else. Your gift is for us. It's for me. It's for the people you're sitting next to. They say, I mean, who's going to take care of me? We are. Because all of our gifts, they're for you. 
of the rest of the church. All of our gifts are for you, but your gift is for us. And so you need to use that gift. P.S. This is why we asked you to volunteer. Right? We don't simply pay everybody to do all the things around the church. No, we serve around the congregation. And so many of you guys do this every week. But if you're a, a part of this congregation, we expect everyone to serve somewhere. You don't have to do 10 things, but you got to do something. This is why we always ask and say, hey, we need people to volunteer to help out with our preschool ministry or our kids ministry. We, we need you to help out with our youth ministry. We have people needs right now for you to step in and say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the, 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 uh, the uh, connection team that Kim is working on. I want to be a part of the prayer team. There's people praying right now in this room. I want to help out there. We got people who are helping greet or us. We got all different kind of things that we do throughout the week. There's so many different ways that you can help. This is how we practically show love to other people. I've been doing youth work for years, and I learned this a long time ago, but multiple studies have been done, and they'll say this. I mean, one of the main determining factors as to whether a student is going to retain their faith after they leave high school, once they get into college, one of the main factors will be this. Do they have four to five adult Christian relationships outside of their parents? Do they have four to five Christian adult relationships, people who have encouraged them, who have mentored them, who've poured into them outside of their parents. You have four to five adults who have encouraged these teenagers. They are infinitely more likely to retain their faith, which is why we ask many of you to say, hey, come and help out with our students. Come get involved. Come volunteer because this is how we love one another. Look, if you do something, you don't like it, you can quit. That's fine. It's legal. I promise. We will not like lock you into like a 40-year contract, right? But, but like, try it, figure it out. But with some trial and error, we got to learn how to use our gifts. Here's the second thing. Here's how we love one another. We forgive one another. We forgive one another. Sooner or later, if you spend any time with the church, I hate to tell you this, somebody in this church is going to hurt your feelings. It's going to happen. If you're looking for that church where it doesn't happen, just leave now. Just leave. It ain't going to be here. P.S. You're not going to find it anywhere. Do you know why? Because churches are filled with people. It's the weirdest thing. Everywhere you go, they're filled with these people. And all of us are in process. We're not perfect yet. We're all in the process of sanctification, which means sometimes we're going to get it wrong. And so if that happens, guess what? You're going to have to learn how to forgive other people. You say, Adam, why should I have to do that? Because that's how God treats us. This is what makes us who we are. We are people who have received grace. And so when things happen, we don't have to, we don't have to paper it over. We don't pretend something bad didn't happen, but we also have to learn how to forgive so that we can move forward together. This is one of the practical ways that we actually love one another. Here's the third thing. We don't insist on our own way. We don't insist that everything has to be exactly how we like it. This is not going to be the place where you're going to get everything exactly how you want. Some people do that. They bounce from church to church. This is why I like this and this and this, but I don't like that. So I got to keep looking. I'm looking for the unicorn. I want the place where everything is exactly how I like it. This is the danger of the live stream, by the way, if you're watching today, because what we say is, it's like, Adam, I just want to tailor everything exactly how I like it. I want to hear this speaker over here and I don't have this kind of worship service and I don't want to deal with anybody I don't like who's going to make me uncomfortable. I don't want anybody to go on my timetable and so I'm order everything exactly how I want it, except that you're not in a church anymore, you're all by yourself. That's not actually a church. You don't, you don't have any relationships. You're not in a community anymore. You just make it all about yourself. When you're a part of a community, it means this. If I love folks, sooner or later, I'm going to have to compromise. I'm going to have to do some things that I may not love for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
you see this most specifically here in our worship style. If you guys have been here any length of time, you know that we have a very blended style of worship. Sometimes we're going to have very loud and very contemporary things that you are going to hear brand new songs that the Lord is bringing out. Other times you are going to hear very old songs, sometimes ancient songs, hymns that you may have been praying or singing for the past 30, 40, 50 years. And sometimes you're going to hear those in the exact same worship service. You say, Adam, why would you do that? Pick a lane, like be somewhere. Like, like just do one or the other, but we're not going to pick a lane. Do you know why? Because we're not going to be young church and we're not going to be old church. And we're not going to be hip church. And we're not going to be traditional church. We're going to be the church that is intergenerational in its scope, which means that we're going to sing songs that sometimes you will like and sometimes you won't. You're going to sing songs you don't like. And guess what? When you do so, that is an act of love for the people in the room who love that song. And when you get to the song that you love, just please know that there's somebody in the room who hates it. Okay. They hate it and they keep singing. Do you know why? Because they love you. There's songs I don't like and I don't veto them. Right. There's a couple, but most of them I don't. (laughs) There's one. All right. So, but, but look, I mean, this is how we love one another. We say, hey, it's not all about what I want. It's about us together. And so we don't insist on our own way in everything. Here's another way we love for one another. We pray. We pray. You pray for one another. That is not perfunctory. That is not just, 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 just going through the motions. One of the greatest ways you can love people is simply to pray for them. This is why we send you prayer requests by email. I hope you don't just run past those. Or just let them go to junk and then and just happy to let them stay there. It's to say, no, no, no. I, I know the names of these people. Not all of them. But I know these names. And I get the privilege of praying for them, of lifting them up before the Father. This is one of the greatest ways we can actually love one another is by lifting them up before the Lord in prayer. We also take care of one another. Practically. We don't stop at prayer. That is a preeminent, but even beyond that, say, hey, if somebody's got an issue or a problem, I'm going to go help them. I love this. I've seen this the entire time I've been here, that when people are sick or in need, we take meals to them. And by we, I do not mean the staff. I mean the church. Community groups get together and say, okay, we get, let's get a meal plan together so we can go take care of so-and-so. Hey, we're going to get a group together. Hey, let's, let's take care of them. They just had a baby or maybe they're, they're really sick or they just had a surgery. We want to take care of them. And so many of you have done this. We make meals. You can buy a meal and you take it physically to their house. Don't let DoorDash do it. You do it. Go to their door and say, hey, man, we brought this to you because we love you. We want to take care of you. This is, we have to take care of practical needs in this congregation. And so look, we, we try to do that. Now, look, we can't help you if you don't tell us. Some people, man, you say, well, I had surgery like a year ago. And, you know, nobody called me. We are not mind readers here. If you do not tell us, then we cannot help you. Furthermore, your community group is the place where this really starts. When you get involved there, man, that's the easiest way of making sure you got people who know you, who want to take care of you, is when we just take care of one another with practical needs. Uh, here's another way we, we love one another. We spend time with one another. One of the, the easiest ways you can spell the word love is this, T-I-M-E. You get to know people. You hear their stories. You learn about them. You, you just get to know who they are as people. 
And by taking that time, which is such a precious commodity in our culture, to say, hey, listen, I can't spend time with everybody. I know social media will tell you that you can. You don't actually know all of these people, but you can actually get to know a certain number of people and say, hey, I want to spend time with you. This is why we want you in community groups. So over time, you get to know people. You go to coffees, you go to dinners, you go to lunches, you get to know one another so you can better pray for one another, so you can better take care of one another, so you can better serve one another. But you got to get to know them first. It's so much easier to love people that you actually know. Don't get lost in a crowd. Man, if you're just trying to kind of come in and come out and not be known, man, you're kind of missing the point of church. Man, we are to be a family. Spend time to get to know one another. And then a final way, we can challenge one another. That may sound weird, but look at verse 15 and notice what it says. It says, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes one of the greatest things you can do for somebody is actually to challenge them. Not to get in their face and tell them they're wrong, not to show that you are right and they were wrong. But if you see somebody who's in a pattern that's going to hurt them or hurt other people, it is the most loving thing to do to say, man, I love you. Can we talk about this? Hey, man, I love you. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Man, I want to help. How can I help? How can I come alongside you? I'll be with you through the end. But man, how can I help in this? But I got to let you know, man, this is this. Look at the scriptures. This is not okay. Look at what God commands us to do. This is this is not all right. It is a loving thing to do when we speak the truth in love. When this becomes normal, we don't take offense every single time. So many of us are, are so worried about offending that we've just stopped loving. As if not offending is enough. It's not. We need to love one another with the truth. We could go on and on, but these are some of the ways that we practically love one another in this very specific congregation with these very specific people. But the second thing is also important. We need to love those outside of the church. We need to love those outside of the church. The love of God should never stop at the borders of our congregation. The love of God should never stop at the borders of our congregation. Because remember, everybody loves those who are like them. Everybody loves their friends. But the defining mark of Christian love is that we don't simply love those who are like us. We love people who are not like us. Think about what Jesus said in the greatest commandment. He said, what's the greatest commandment you can do, you can have? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody asks, who's my neighbor? I want to make sure I get this right. Jesus then tells the parable of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan who is completely different from the Jew. He says, here's the definition of neighbor. It's the person not like you. Your neighbor are the people, they're the people who are not like you. They might not be Christians at all. They might not have had your same upbringing. They might not have the same gender or race or or background or, or our culture or whatever else it is. They are different. I want you to love them like you love yourself. That's your neighbor. Second greatest commandment that our Savior gives to us. So the love of God can't stay within the confines of the church. Our love must extend outside of the confines of the church. Because this is actually how we show the world that God exists. Look at this in 1 John. Uh, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. It says, nobody has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The lost world is not going to see God with their eyes, but they can see us. 
When you and I live out the love of Christ amongst one another, and then when we live out the love of Christ out in the world, that becomes what author Philip Yancey will call a visible apologetic. Simply by our actions, we are showing people that God is real, that his love is real. He wants, he's, you can join in to this love, but they have to see it. How do they see it? They see it when we practically, in real time, over real time, when we love one another, not just in the church, but even outside of the church. This is the sign to a lost world that God is actually there. Let me give you a few ways that we do that. First off, we do this through our missions programs. We said this a couple times, but 10% of our budget here at the church always goes to missions projects. That is local, national, and international ways that we go out to share the love of Jesus Christ in lots of different areas. Some of you guys have been on a mission trip before. Some of you need to go on a mission trip this coming year. You need to mark out some vacation time and some money to say, hey, listen, I want to go and be a part of these missions efforts. I want to share the love of Christ with some people who desperately need it and have never experienced that before. So we do this through our money, but we also do this through our time and through our volunteering. That's the second way we can help. We don't simply love people from this place as we pray for them. We say, no, how can I actually go out into my city? I can go out into my world and I can love people in the name of Jesus Christ. Last week, I was, I was on two different sites. We had over 70 people in four different places all around the city on Saturday morning who were helping serve other people in our area in lots of different ways. We partner with tons of different organizations here in town, brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. They're serving. We can come alongside them and say, hey, we want to help you at Bundles of Hope. We want to help you at Grace Climb. We want to help you at Hearts and Hands. We want to help you at Save a Life. We want to help you at all of these different organizations to serve the people in our area. We serve with our time. We serve with our life. We serve with not just our our, our money and our giving, but also just the giving of our lives to say, hey, I want to be involved. I want to meet people. I want to love them in the name of Jesus Christ so that they can see God reaching out to them through us. Thirdly, we help the poor. This has always been a core command that God gives to us is that we are to help the poor in our area. Jesus said, we're always going to have the poor with us, but we are to help them. I tried to find out how many verses in scripture actually mention poverty or the poor. There's a lot of different countings in the way you look at it, but even the most conservative numbers, they're in the hundreds. Hundreds of times when our Lord tells us you need to take care of the poor in your midst, regardless of how they got there. We help. And so we do our best to partner with organizations here in in town to do different things to say, how can we realistically and actually help those in poverty in our area? How do we leverage the resources that we have to say, hey, I want to help alleviate poverty in our own area because there's more here than you might think. It's just covered up by a lot of trees and also in the Birmingham area proper. How do we actually do that? And then finally, we do this through evangelism. We speak the truth in love. We don't stop at simply giving a hand to other people or to helping in practical ways. We need to also tell them that there is hope in Jesus Christ. We need to tell them the good news of the gospel, that God made you, he loves you, he hasn't forgotten about you. You can be forgiven in him and you can have a brand new life. We speak the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is desperately in need of it. 
We are in an increasingly secularizing age. You cannot assume that people have heard the gospel. We need to choose to say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? And we've got these classes that are going to help us learn how to do that better, whether it be through neighboring or, or gospel conversations. But we must share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is how we show forth the love that God has given us into the world around us. And so question, are we loving? Like, let's not assume that that's the case. Let's practically evaluate at this point in time, not the way we used to be right now. Are we a loving congregation? Are you a loving member of this congregation? Do you love those who are around us in a sacrificial way? Do you receive that kind of love? And then as a whole, are we a loving congregation to those who are around us? This is God's design and desire for his people. That we wouldn't simply have maturity and community, but we would also have his charity. Now, final thing. If you're here today and you're feeling bad about that, you're just like going, oh, I know. I should love more. I should do more loving things. I don't love people well. All right, there's a danger there. Because right there, you're feeling a little guilt as if that's why you should do things. And we need to make sure we have a proper motivation when it comes to our love. Because if you don't have the motivation right, it's not going to last and it's not actually going to work. Remember what Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. It doesn't start with us. It starts with him. It doesn't start with our power. It starts with him. It starts with an experience of real love from the Lord. If you do not have that, you will not actually love other people. This is the failure of the liberal church, by the way. You've been watching the liberal mainline church fail miserably as it just nosedives into decline. These are the Episcopals. These are the Lutherans. This is PCUSA. For the last 50 years, nosedive. Why? They love to help other people. They do not believe in the Orthodox Christian faith anymore. And when you abandon maturity, you ultimately don't help a whole lot of people with charity. It doesn't work. They say, but I got the motivation. I want to help other people. And I believe that they're sincere. But if you don't actually have maturity, it's not going to work. But please hear me when I tell you this. The fundamentalist church has not done any better. The fundamentalist church has been a similar abject failure. Why? Because they got designs on how they're going to get people to follow the Lord. I'll tell you how we're going to do it. We're going to scare you into it, man. You heard about hell? Let me tell you. They're going to tell you all about hell and where it is. Then I'm going to guilt you into it. Man, you hadn't done that. I'll guilt you there. I promise. Then I'm going to shrine it into law. I will force you by the power of the government to do what God says. That'll make people Christian. Will it? Because it doesn't seem to be changing a whole lot of hearts and minds. You see, when your motivation isn't love, when it doesn't flow from a real experience from a God who loves me and has saved me and is changing me, ultimately, I don't really get to a place where I want to selflessly love other people. And so if you say, Adam, I struggle with this, then go back to the Savior. Go back to the Lord and say, God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I want to know more about the height, depth, width, and length of your love for me that defies understanding. God, I want to know you because the more we live in the love of Christ, it cannot help but to flesh itself out in real time amongst the people that we live among. That is the motivation for Christian charity. So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment.
heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just ask that question and say, am I loving? Not just generally a nice person. We're in the South. That's all of us, right? But am I loving? Do I love people in Jesus' name? Do I love in response to the love that he's given me? Maybe the Lord's been calling you to to do something new, to get involved in a ministry or to use your spiritual gift or or to really get to know people, even though it might scare you, to to volunteer with a new organization, to give more than you've ever given before. I I don't know what he's asking you to do, but he's saying, man, I want you to be involved. I want you to love in real time. I want you to love people in my name from my power, not yours. I wonder if even this morning he's calling you to do something specific. He's brought something to mind. And maybe today we can simply say, Father, if, because of you, you have loved me so well. Because of how you have cared for me, Lord, I gladly want to love others in your name. I gladly want to speak in your name. I want to show people the same kind of love you've shown to me. That we might be his loving people. So, Father, help us. Speak to us. Show us how to be those loving people. Open up new doorways for us to build new relationships with one another, to serve one another with the gifts that you've given us. And Father, open up new pathways to partner with brothers and sisters all across this city that we might help those who are hurting, who are broken, who are in need of of healing and help. Lord, open up our eyes. We can't fix everything. But you've got specific things you want us to do in this particular season. Would you make us your people? who exemplify your love. Lord, I pray you would pour so much of your love into us that we could not help but to pour it out on everybody that we see. Thank you, Father, for who you are making us to be and the love that you've given to us. We love you. In your name we pray. 